On the cutting edge of the Messianic movement, Solace Radio will rock your faith and bring the Bible alive. Find your Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach and explore the whole Bible and discover treasures there. Solace Radio. As the children go, can you open up your bulletins and take out an outline? There should be an outline in there for you. We are finishing up a an important section in the scriptures, actually in our little series. If you have your outlines, take them out. I'm excited about the last two in this message here, because these messages really, for me, strengthen my faith, and it teaches you and me how to use the Jewish scriptures with our Jewish people that do not know the Bible. Some of your visitors, and I say this loving my people very much, my Jewish people do not know the difference between the Torah, the Tanakh, and the Talmud. They don't know their scriptures because our Jewish people are not taught to read the scriptures. They know Jewish tradition. They know some Jewish holidays where they sit down and have meals. But I want you to be fully, thoroughly equipped. Messianic congregations are a little different than normal, quote, churches because we have an emph- emphasis on the Jewish part of the scriptures. Now, we're doing a series. And we started the series is why we all, Jewish and Gentile people, should reach out to Jewish people. Why we should be involved. By the way, I spoke at Dallas Seminary. I gave that message to them. Why they should be interested in Jewish evangelism. I speak in churches. Why they should be doing Jewish outreach. And I gave the basic reasons which I've told you. One, God is going to bless you for it. Down in Genesis 12, 3. I said it's the pattern of the whole Bible. God always reaches out. Whether it's Old, New Covenant, always. Purpose of the Messiah. The pattern of the Bible was that the Messiah was supposed to come for our Jewish people, and also to allow the Gentiles to have faith in God, too. That was the purpose. Messiah, we also said we should share because God says, I will reach my people. But he plans to do it through your sharing, your faith. God promises to save some. And then I said the last reason we should do it is the Bible says in Romans 11, 11, it's our responsibility. All believers have a responsibility to share their faith with everyone, but especially to the Jewish people, to provoke them to a godly jealousy. Then we talked on the the more details, how to do it. And we talked about that attitude is the key to everything and reaching all people, attitude. And I said, one, whatever group you go to, we come to a Messianic congregation, so mostly our group is Jewish people who do not believe in Yeshua. And I said, we should identify with them, understand their cultures, backgrounds, their history, understand their their communication. Second, I said, we should first identify. Second, we should love them. We should pray that God give us a sincere, true love for our Jewish people. I said we should be praying for them. We should be blessing them. We should be sacrificing for them like many, many true believers throughout the ages have died, reaching Jewish people, sacrificing for the Jewish people. Attitude is key. After we have the right attitude, then we should be equipped with verses. And then that's where we're up to. Sharing the Messianic prophecies. And that's what I'm going to finish the Messianic prophecies today. Now, um, I wanted to start out here with, with today with an old television show I used to see. I, I don't know if it was What's My Liner to Tell the Truth. Maybe some, my, well, some of you will, I think it was the two different shows. But I just remember this show where these three men, usually men, maybe a woman, would sit on the stage with the smiles. And they would tell their occupation, their background. And then the four people, I who knows, just El McKenzie or whatever, these four people, they would question them for like a half an hour about, do you work here? Do you live here? Do you live there? And after a half hour, the, the four uh, celebrities 
would have to guess which one is the real person. I, was that to tell the truth or what's my line? What's my line? Oh, I, I didn't know. But anyway, so they'd have to guess. And I always used to say, I remember, I said, I remember. So, so each one of the four would guess. And then they'd say, now, will the real Joe Schmo please stand up? And then you'd watch these three funny people, because it's a date in the 50s. You'd see them all sitting there, and then you'd see one go, here we go. And you didn't know which one was going to go, uh, stand up. Then all of a sudden, the real one would stand up. And they never got him. They just were such good liars or whatever. Was, you couldn't get the real, real person, Joe, Joe uh, Schmidt, uh, not Schmidt, uh, Feldman. You couldn't get the real Feldman or Horowitz or whatever. It is. You couldn't get the Messianic congregation, so we got to use Jewish names. But anyway, you couldn't get the real one. And the reason I bring that up is because today I really like this because I entitled this, uh, this message that I like to share is, will the real Messiah stand up? Now, you can present all these things I'm saying to Jewish people and make the evidence very, very clear. That's what we want to do today, who the Messiah is. That doesn't mean my people are going to go, oh, you're right, I'm accepting Yeshua today. That's what we hope. But if they're truly honest and truly searching, you got to say, what's the evidence? Who is the real Messiah? How can we recognize him? Will the real Messiah stand up? And I tell people all the time that for us in Messianic circles, our biggest problem first is to prove Yeshua is the Messiah. Many times for me also, after I became convinced Yeshua was the Messiah, then I said, oh, okay, so I'll accept him, because then I became convinced. But the first step is proving who is the Messiah. So that's what I want to, you know, background, just, you know, give you. If you have your bulletins, open them up. Open them up, and we're going to follow along here. Will the real Messiah stand up? Now, you have to understand, throughout all of history, there have been many false messiahs. There have been prophets, true prophets, true messiah. And it's just in history, in the nature, in the Bible. Listen carefully. We usually choose the wrong person. The one who's right and righteous and good. We usually substitute and put a false person on the throne or choose them. It's always been that way in the Bible. Even for the nation of Israel. Who did the Jewish people usually accept? False prophets. They all follow the false prophets. The true prophets always never picked. Never. The one, and that's one of the Jewish objections, and that's why you're here you know, to, to tell you and give you background. Uh, Jewish objections. A lot of Jewish people tell me, well, if Yeshua is the Messiah, wouldn't we all accept him? The answer to that is no, we wouldn't. We never have. And I could trace all the whole Bible, even in, in the New Covenant, in the book of Acts, when uh, Stephen is being stoned. His message, great, great, great chapter in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 7, the whole thing is he's speaking to the Jewish leaders. And as he's saying, he says this, he says, which I'm not saying say, he looked at them and said, you stiff-necked, stubborn people. Now, don't do that with my people. But he says, you've always chosen the wrong one. What is wrong with you? So for that, he got stoned. But anyway, so... Um, so follow, follow along. I want you to, to and, and you, you can fill it in. Uh, well, just first, follow along here. Just showing you where they never accepted the true one. Book of Genesis. Genesis. We know the 12, you know the 12 sons of Judah already. You, you know, Judah uh, of the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. You know, you know those 12 sons, don't we all? Right? I'll, I'll just go through because you all know it already right now. Because we memorized the first four. The first one was uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. You got the 12. They're, they're pretty easy. You try to get up here and do it in front of everyone. Anyway, those four are easy. 
Then after that, you go to the beginning of the alphabet. You got A, Asher. You go to the end of the alphabet, Z, Zebulon. Now we got six. Then you go to those couple that only have three, three letters. Ah, Dan and Gad. Then you go to the very Jewish guy of all of them, Izzy. Izzy had a car, Issachar. He got tired, so he decided to take a nap and lie down. Nap to lie down, anyway. Then. And then you got uh, Rachel's two, the favorite sons of Joseph and Benjamin. There's your 12 sons. Anyway, so why did I say that? I have no idea. Oh, yeah, good. All right, so... Of the 12 sons, we're following one here from the, the line of, uh, uh, we're following Joseph here. And I wanted you to look at one of Jacob's sons. Follow in uh, Genesis 37. Of those 12 brothers, in the beginning, the nation of Israel, tribes, they were not too spiritual. In fact, they hated one of their brothers, Joseph. The father, Jacob, didn't make it too easy for them. He, you know, he always favored him, gave him a special coat of many colors. He did all kinds of things. Everyone was jealous of Joseph. But Joseph was God's choice, but they were jealous. And that, well, what I'm trying to give you is that we picked the wrong one, usually. Joseph, when he was uh, one of the sons, look what it says in Genesis 37, 18. When his brothers saw him coming from a distance before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Our people usually choose the wrong one. Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Of course, even though everyone rises up against God's choice, it doesn't mean they're going to destroy God's choice. God will always protect them. God did protect them. Kill him, throw him into a pit, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. They didn't choose Joseph. The, cho- the one chosen by God, they were rejected. Then we get, a little while later in the Bible, God chooses Moses. Great Moses. Moses comes to his people. They reject him because usually we reject the one that God chooses. I'm not quite sure what's in us, why we choose the wrong one. So Moses, it says in Exodus 2, Exodus 2, he says, but he said, who made you? The Jewish people, these people said, who made you a prince or a judge over us, Moses? Are you intending to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. And they rejected Moses. Even Moses, they rejected then we see throughout the history, the prophets, the good prophets that spoke in behalf of Israel's favor, spoke of turning back to God. Jewish people always rejected even the good prophets. The, if you were called to be a prophet, you had to be ready to die. They usually killed the prophets. And we see in, uh, what's it, uh, where were we? First uh, Kings 18, one of the prophets speaking to Eli- uh, Elijah said, has it not been told to my master, this prophet speaking to Elijah? What I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that's what people do. They don't choose the right one. Whatever the reason, today, people don't choose Yeshua. I'm not sure. The re- well, 2,000 years of history, the way Christians have persecuted Jewish people, I don't know. It's not convenient. They have all kinds of reasons. We don't usually pick the right one. We look in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 24, another great prophet rises up in the story. It says, Then the Spirit of God came on this prophet named Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, this good prophet, turning to, trying to turn the people back to God. He stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, thus God has said, Why do you turn from the commandments of the Lord? You will not prosper turning away from God. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you, the prophet calling the people back to God. Don't forsake God. Turn to God and he will bless you. So they, they responded pretty good in verse 21. So they conspired against him at the command of the king. They stoned him to death in the court of the house. Again, we don't usually choose the right one. Jeremiah. Oh, we love Jeremiah. Everyone loves Jeremiah. The people in his day, they didn't like him. 
They did not like him. And it says, then the officials said to the king, all the Jewish officials, the king concerning Jeremiah, now let this man be put to death. Why do we always not choose the right one, the one who God chooses? So King Zedekiah said, behold, he is in your hands all the time. Then we get to the new covenant. We say, see the same thing. Yeshua came on the scene. He showed him, we're going to see today why he's the Messiah. But his followers tried to turn people. Jewish leaders again turned against them. It says in Acts chapter 4, and as they were speaking, probably Peter and John were speaking, I forget right now, it says Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Yeshua the resurrection from the dead. A small group of believers at that time were preaching this. And they laid their hands on them and they put them in a public jail until the next day, for it was already evening. When they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them and on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. Again, the next chapter, same thing happens. The high priest rose up along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles, put them in a public jail saying, we gave you strict orders not to, con uh, not to continue to teach in his name. But when they heard this, they said they were cut to the quick, intending to kill them. Again, the Jewish community, the Jewish leaders were going to kill the apostles. But, the Pharisee, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel said, stop, the teacher of the law, respected by all the people. He said, no, 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 don't kill them. He stood up in the council, he gave orders. Let's put Peter into, put him aside. We got to talk privately. So they put them in the other room, and this great, great, Jewish leader, Gamaliel, said, let's talk first before we kill them. That's really what's happening here. And he says, so, um, where was it? Yeah, respected them, put them aside for a short time. And he said to the men of Israel, take care. He's talking to the leaders. You propose what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, a man rose up, Thutis, claiming to be somebody. A group of uh, about 400 men joined him, but he was killed. And, and all who followed him, they dispersed. It came to nothing. He goes on. And after this man, another man by the name of Judas, not Judas we know, of Galilee, rose up. In the days of the census, he drew away some people after him, and he perished, and all those who followed him, they were scattered too. Wise man, Gamaliel. He says, don't do anything with these men. If they die, and this Yeshua is nothing, it will come to nothing. It'll all fade apart, fade away. So don't, don't bother yourself with killing people here. And then says, but if it is of God, if Peter and John and these small group of common, ignorant, Galilean fishermen, untrained, he says, if it's of God, you won't be able to stop it. You'll not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. And so what I want to look at is some of the evidence to conclude today. All the evidence. Fill it in here first. All the evidence for me. Maybe not to all of you. You might not like my proofs. All the evidence points to Yeshua as the Messiah. I don't often. I do sometimes. But I don't often get a chance where someone, Jewish person, comes into my office and he says, so tell me, why do you believe? He usually says, why do you believe this narishkeit, which means foolishness? Why do you believe this? Then they look at him and say, how did a nice Jewish boy like you get mixed up with this? Yeshua, Jesus. Well, what are you doing? How in the world could you ever do this? This is not part of who we are. And sometimes I just love when they do that. Because then they're sitting there and I, I can tell them. For me, all the evidence in the Bible points to Yeshua as the Messiah. All the evidence. First line of evidence. We've gotten it for a couple of weeks, and you should be familiar with it right now. First line, the prophecies of the Jewish scriptures. To me, this is the strongest, first and strongest evidence that Yeshua is the Messiah. You might 
You might not always get an opportunity to share this. What you do is maybe sometimes you share one verse. Sometimes you can get a couple in. Sometimes you might share with other believers just a whole Bible study. All the evidence of the prophecies, to me, is the most important thing. The Jewish, even if people don't believe the Bible, this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Yeshua was born. And we've dealt with it for a couple of weeks. The strong, the strong uh, prophecies, you know them. The first one, of course, I'm going to just by way of review, the first one is the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You've got to remember, it's got to flow. You just got to always just know that. It's the first one. Just think birth. Then after that, you think the nature of this Messiah. He wouldn't be just a king, a prophet, a great charismatic leader. But the nature of the Messiah tells us he'd be none other than God himself come in the flesh. Micah 5, 2 says that. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us he'd be called the mighty God. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, he'd be called Adonai Sitkenu, God our righteousness. So we know the nature of Messiah. Then we know the peculiar birth of the Messiah. I know it's strange, but it was a miracle from God. I know it's impossible, but God can do the impossible. According to Isaiah 7:14, it tells us that a virgin would give birth to a son. That's quite a sign. You know, if a virgin gave birth to a son, you have two choices. That's impossible. She had relations with someone, or that's a miracle, which can't be done, but God can do a miracle. So the third thing is, you know, uh, the peculiar birth of the Messiah. After that, we know the time Messiah would come. See, I believe God has laid it out for our Jewish people to let us know who Messiah is. The time. It tells us he'd come before the destruction of the Jewish temple, which took place in 70 CE. I'm not twisting this, folks. The Bible is very clear on this. Jewish people can sit there and go, uh-huh, you're right. I still don't want it. It's, I understand. But there's not, nothing you can say about this. Daniel 9, Genesis 49 just tells us. Mashiach will come before the destruction of the Jewish temple. Then you know his reception. Would our people receive him? No. Isaiah 53 tells us he'd be despised and rejected of men. The whole chapter is just such a powerful. That's the chapter you first always turn to, is Isaiah chapter 53. He'd be despised and rejected by people. Well, how would he die? How would he be rejected by his people? Psalm 22 tells us. Psalm 22 clearly describes a crucifixion. It makes it very clear, the Messianic prophecies, if a person is honest and open. After that, we have Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, his return. We would notice the pierce marks in his hand. So you're familiar. Did I catch them all there? Reception, time, break. Good. Okay. Um, I, I don't expect you to, to be able to do that, but you get familiar with it. The only reason I can do it is not just because I preach it, because every Jewish person I find, I use one of these. I always get into the Jewish scriptures. That's after I first make, check my attitude, make sure I'm loving them and praying for them and sacrificing and all that. Then you pray. Then a couple weeks ago, I don't know if it was last week or, yeah, um, I presented a few other prophecies that speak of Messiah. They're not so common ones. And I told us, and we saw from the scriptures, we don't, you don't have to look at it now, but I'll repeat it. I said, not only that, but the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. He'd have Ishmael and Isaac, but Messiah would come through Isaac. Isaac would have Esau and Jacob, but he'd come through Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons, which you all know very easily. I'm not going to repeat them, but the 12 sons. He'd come through one of those sons who would be where the kingly line came from of one of the sons would be Judah, who was the fourth of the son. The priests, and the, uh, the priests all came from the third son, Levi. They were the Levites. But the king himself would come from the tribe of Judah. Then we said that this coming Messiah, whoever he is, would have a unique parallel to Moses, like no other prophet that ever lived. Listen. Aside from Yeshua the Messiah, Moses is your greatest prophet in Israel. That's all. 
He was not only that, he was a prophet, he was a priest, he was a king. That figure, that's what our Messiah would be. All in one, prophet, priest, and king. Nobody had that in Israel because the king was separate from the priest, the priest was separate from the prophet, but Moses was. We saw the unique parallel. Moses was in Egypt, Yeshua was in Egypt. Moses was in the wilderness 40 years, Yeshua was in the wilderness 40 years. The Bible says God called Moses out of Egypt, God called Yeshua out of Egypt because he went down into Egypt as well. We saw a tremendous parallel in all this. There was a king who was oppressing Israel. In Moses' time, king oppressing uh, Israel in Yeshua's time. Uh, the king tried to kill all the children in Moses' time. The king tried to kill all the children. And I believe it's not just a man-made comparison. Moses tells us in Deuteronomy, there'll be a prophet like me. So we see that he'd be a prophet like Moses. We also said, how would we recognize him? The king, the Messiah coming, he would be called God's son. Now, I interject, as I always do, Jewish objections to me. Jewish people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. We, don't, we know God doesn't have a son. Now, what you say to them, lovingly, not arrogant, you're wrong. God had a son. And you know where to turn to. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Speaking about God, who holds the wind in his fist and who wraps the waters in his garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. Uh, surely you know his name and his son's name. The Bible speaks of the son. God would have a son. Psalm 2, verse 7 and 12 tells us God would have his, listen carefully to these words. I use them almost as one. King, Messiah, Mashiach, his anointed one, his son. God would have a son, according to Psalm. Who is this one? All the evidence points. Then we saw that God's servant, God's son, God's Messiah, would be a servant to Jewish people and to Gentiles. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, speaks about the servant of God, the servant, the messenger of God who would come to bring the Jewish people to God, to bring the Gentiles to God. God's servant would be the Messiah. He'd bring all people to God. Then I said a strange one last week, if you remember. God, uh, the Messiah, could be uh, clearly defined. It shows that he'd be God sent by God. Let me Raise your hand if you remember me saying that last week. Okay. You might remember we didn't have the verse. Remember? I, I tried to get that verse. So I told Anne, can you put that verse in there for me this week? There we are. There's the verse. Listen to this strange verse. I told you about it, but you didn't see it. This is found in the prophet Isaiah. It says... God's speaking, we see the whole context. God's speaking, and it says, Come near to me, everyone. Listen to this. From the first, I have not spoken in secret. It's God speaking. From the time that it took place, I was there. Up to that, God is speaking. And now, who's speaking? Let me hear you. God is speaking. But now he says, And now, the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Wait a second. God's speaking. And he's telling us, God sent me. But I said, You're God. Because the Bible shows us the Messiah coming would be God in the flesh. So the scripture, all the evidence points to Yeshua. And then the last thing, my favorite one, was that Yeshua fulfills all the scriptures. On a Shabbat, just like this, Yeshua got up 2,000 years ago in a little town of Nazareth, and he read from Isaiah 61. And he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I wish I was there to see how he said it, because there was silence. And he says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he stopped in the middle of the sentence. Because the next part said, and the day of vengeance of our God. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord is Yeshua's first coming. The day of vengeance is his second coming. Yeshua couldn't say that because it wasn't fulfilled then. Yeshua fulfills all the Jewish scriptures. So, first line of evidence to me and the strongest. If anyone is honest and open, and I tell you honestly, most Jewish people really say, eh, I don't have time for that. 
I don't want to be bothered with it. And they have their own life to live. But sometimes God touches their heart. All the evidence, everyone, put that down. First, I said, the prophecies of the Jewish scriptures point to Messiah. I want you to see the second line of arguments that, to me, really speaks. The second line, you could fill it in. The works of the coming Messiah. Now, when I say the works of Messiah, let me tell you, the Jewish people, Jewish leaders, not Messianic, unsaved Jewish people, the rabbis, the religious Jewish people, for ages, 2,000 years before us, before Yeshua's time, have always said, when Messiah comes, how will we, we recognize him? Now, they could have said, like I say, look at the prophecies. Maybe they did. We see in Matthew 2, they did look to prophecies. But the Jewish leaders for thousands of years have some, said something else. The Jewish leaders said, we know how to recognize Messiah. It's very clear how we will recognize him. You talk to maybe Jewish leaders today. How would we recognize Messiah? Some might say, he'll oh, bring world peace. But they had another thing. They say the Messiah who's coming will do different than everybody else. The Messiah who's coming, well, let me show you where they get it from. Okay, follow along with me. This is what the ancient rabbis used to say. Isaiah 29. On that day, and this is when Messiah comes, the deaf will hear words of a book. Rabbis clearly tell us, how will we know Messiah? The deaf will hear. He will unplug their ears. Deaf will hear again. Jewish leaders said, we'll know Messiah because he will open up the ears of the deaf. And out of their gloom and the darkness, the eyes of the blind will be opened. Jewish leaders tell you throughout the ages, to this day and even in the past, how do we reckon, how could we know who the Messiah is? They say, by the works of the coming Messiah. Only the Messiah will open up their ears. Only the Messiah will open up their eyes. That's what they look for. Someone who could do that. Isaiah 32 says the same thing. The eyes of those who see will not be blinded. That's the blind will see. That's how we'll know. And the ears of those who hear will listen. The mind of the hasty will discern the truth. And the tongue of the stammer will hasten to speak clearly. They will speak clearly. Isaiah 35. And all I'm just bringing out is not what me and Messianic Jews, but I'm telling you what the Jewish leaders say. How would we recognize Messiah? Say to those who are anxious of heart, Isaiah says, take courage, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. God will come with vengeance to deliver our people. He will come. It says the recompense of the Lord will, uh, of the Lord, of God will come. He will save you. Then in those days, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Isaiah 42, verse 7, the eyes, the, uh, to open blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Those who dwell in darkness, uh, in darkness from the prisons. Jewish people have always said, he will do it with a miracle. I grew up in the time of Helen Keller. I don't know if uh, some of you know. There's a child who became deaf, dumb, and blind. It's a great story. Well, what's the, the movie? Miracle worker. Oh, you got to see that. How she learned to communicate. Imagine a little child just all of a sudden one day going deaf, dumb, and blind. I don't think she was born that way. And all of a sudden, what's that? She had a fever. Thank you. Deaf, dumb, and blind. And to try to commit. It's a very, very powerful story. Here's a man who will come and heal deaf, dumb, and blind people. Only Messiah would do that. The prophets couldn't do what he did. Jewish apocalyptic literature, all other Jewish literature, not just the Bible, Literature before Messiah, literature after, always said Messiah will come and we will know him. How? Miracles he does. He will heal the lepers. 
deaf, dumb, blind. That's how we recognize Messiah. That's incredible. That's what they always look for. Not only that, filling the Jewish prophets, the prophecies. Then all of a sudden, now listen, I'm not condemning my people because I'd be the same to reject him. I did, and God opened my eyes. All of a sudden, there's a man standing in their midst, and he's looking at our people. I'm the Messiah. Now, if I was the leader of the Jewish people, I'd say, he's not to get rid of him, because I wouldn't have believed it. And they had trouble with it, unless God touches your heart. Look with me in a book of uh, Matthew chapter 9, speaking of Yeshua. And they brought this person, they brought to him a paralytic, someone paralyzed, on a bed. Seeing, uh, seeing their faith, Yeshua said to the paralytic, get up. No one could get him up. Some of them had been uh, paralyzed for the, since they were born. Pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. I guess you see this person who's never walked. And all of a sudden, a man comes up and says, get up. Gets up, picks up his bed, starts walking away. Who, the man just did that? You've got to be overwhelmed with who this person is. But it was just one occasion, Matthew chapter 12. It says, uh, no, not Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 8, verse 2. And a leper came to him, bowed down before him, and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Yeshua stretched out his hand and touched him. And said, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy left him. That's what Moses did. That's what Elisha, Elisha did. These are messianic miracles. And you know, and I love to go through Israel and preach this, and I love to tell you too. Yeshua did miracles. Actually, I, I like to say this. He did miracles usually on Shabbat. He did them, you know. And I always tease. I tease because I said if my wife was with him, Fran would have said to him, why do you have to do it on Saturday? You're going to just make them upset with you. Yeshua, just do it Friday. It'll be okay. And I picture Yeshua saying, no, it wouldn't be okay on Friday. But I want to make a point. She would say, well, can't you do it on Sunday? Do it on the first day of the week. He says, no, no. He did it on Saturday to drive home the point. Are you so blind to see what I'm doing and reject it on a technicality that you think I'm breaking Shabbat? You do it, Yeshua did it to confront. He wants people to go. He wants you that. He wanted me to say, I don't think he can be. He must be. I don't. He wants to confront for you to make that decision. Yeshua did what they call messianic miracles. Where was I? What verse? Uh, Oh, yeah. Matthew 9. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. Amazing. Speaks. Mute man spoke, um, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. Nothing, nothing. What are we doing? Who is this person? The, I love the Jewish leaders at one point say, you got to get rid of him and all his followers because if he keeps doing these miracles, everyone's going to follow him. Instead of saying, uh-oh, he must be the one. We should follow him too. It's amazing. Nothing like this ever. Matthew 12, then a demon-possessed man who had been blind, was mute, was brought to Yeshua. And he healed him so that mute man spoke and saw. Incredible, incredible. Now, my favorite of all the miracles, there's a lot of good ones, raising Lazarus, and we'll see that in a minute, John 11. But my favorite is John chapter 9. That's my favorite one. Are you there in John chapter 9? Yeah, yeah, okay. John chapter 9 is the man born blind. This to me is, is, it tells us the man was born blind. And I always like to tell the story. I love, I repeat it, but I love it. Because I remember when I first was at Moody Bible Institute and I was in a class and my teacher is a great preacher and I was listening to him. He told me, my teacher, that he went to the foreign lands somewhere, one of the jungle places, with a eye doctor. 
And the eye doctor went with him. And the eye doctor, he said, did amazing things. He watched this eye doctor with special medicine, sort of healing people, helping their eyes. And it was my teacher and the medical doctor and the people in the village were lined up all over for days. They were lined up just so this medical doctor could touch and do something with their eye. But my teacher said every so often, the medical doctor looked at my teacher and said, you see that man who just came in the door? My teacher said, yeah. He says, I can't help that man. He goes, why? He says, because that man was born blind. He has never seen. My teacher said, how do you know that? He says, they look different. They've never seen the light of day. And the teacher said, I can't do a thing. And not the teacher, the, the doctor. I can't do a thing for him. He needs to have new eyes created for him. That's why John chapter 9, Yeshua heals the man born blind. And he's saying to the Jewish leaders, open up your eyes. You are blind. That's what Yeshua is doing in John chapter 9. They say, we're not blind, are we? He goes, yeah, you are. Even though you see you're blind. I came so the blind people will see. John chapter 9 is the greatest, I think, of all the miracles. And as he passed by a blind man, uh, blind from birth, when he said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, applied it to his eyes, and he said, go, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. If you go with me on our trip, we stand in the pool of Siloam. Don't tell me you've been there before because it's just been discovered the last couple of years. We stand in the pool of Siloam. It's so cool. Forget it. Anyway, he said, so he went away and washed and came back seeing. Yeshua healed the blind. John 11, real quick. Resurrection of Lazarus. That's a special one too. Messianic miracle. These are not just plain miracles. These are messianic miracles. John 11. Lazarus born. Uh, Lazarus dead. Yeshua then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So when Yeshua came, he found uh, that he had been already laid in the tomb. And John does it purposely. He's been in the tomb for how long, everyone? How many? Four. Why did he have to say four? Why did you say he'd been dead? That's good enough. He purposely says four. Because Jewish theology said that God may, re may raise a man, but only after three days. Uh, only up to three days. Not more than that. John is saying it's past the time of Jewish thinking. And a friend of mine once said, Yeshua raised Lazarus on the fourth day to prove that he will raise us on the last day. Yeshua is making a stand here. He's making it very clear he's raising Lazarus. So Yeshua came. He found him in four days. Yeshua said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Folks, I, I'm sorry. I just, listen. If I dropped dead right here, you'd go, oh, poor Larry. And it would be a traumatic thing. Listen, if I dropped dead right now, I'm living. I'm living. I'm enjoying the presence of God. That's what happened. That believer, they, they immediately are in the presence of the Lord rejoicing. That's what Yeshua is saying. Because we believe in him. He says, I'm the resurrection. Did I miss? Yeah, I missed a bunch of verses. Did, no, no. Okay, yeah. I'm the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me, you will never die. Do you believe this? Yeshua finally said, remove the stone. And then my great line I love in the King James Version. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. That's King James. New American Standard, there'll be a stench. Yeah, four days there should have been. And after, uh, for he has been dead four days. Yeshua said, did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And you heard the preachers, oh, I love to see it. Yeshua had to get to that tomb, those graves. And Yeshua had to say, Lazarus, come forth. You know why he had to say, Lazarus, come forth? Because if Yeshua said, come forth, all of them would come forth. 
because he has the power to raise all the dead. And he will one day. But this one, Lazarus, you come forth. Sorry, all you other guys. You stay down. Okay, I'll get to you later. Lazarus, you come forth right now. And it says, Lazarus, when he had uh, said these things, Lazarus come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot, bouncing all along the way. And his face was unwrapped, uh, it was wrapped with a linen cloth, and Yeshua said, unbind him. Yeshua does messianic miracles. John, Yochanan, the immerser, was in prison. He's done some great things, and he's pointed people to God. And Yochanan is depressed. He's in prison. They're getting ready to chop his head off. He's not feeling too chipper or no, too happy one day. And he says to his followers, listen, can you go to that? My cousin, that was his cousin. You go to him and find out, is he the one we're waiting for? Is that Yeshua, the Messiah? We're waiting for him. Is he the one? So his followers say, all right, we'll be back, Yochan, in a day or two. Be patient. Okay, so, so they go to Yeshua, and they say to Yeshua, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? Are you the king of Israel? And I'm sitting there waiting. And all Yeshua have to do is say, yeah, I'm the one. Tell my cousin, I'm the, I'm the Messiah. He doesn't. Yeshua doesn't do things like we would. Look what he does. John, uh, Matthew 11. Now when John, Yochanan was in prison, he heard the works of the Messiah. There it is, the works. Jewish people were looking. Not for just the prophecies, but the works. He sent word to his disciples and said, uh, to say to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for somebody else? Yeshua answered and said to them, just tell him you're the one. Go and report to Yochanan. What you hear, what you hear and see. What do we see? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed are all those who do not take fence, offense at me. Go tell John all that I do. And then I preach. And that all those who believe will have eternal life. All the works point to Yeshua being the Messiah. All the evidence points to Yeshua. It's just my favorite line of thinking. So we see here first, I said, the prophecies make sure that we know Yeshua is the Messiah. Second, we see the works, all his works prove that he's Messiah. Third, which I'll deal with also in a couple weeks, but I like to do it here. It's my favorite line of arguing. The third uh, line of evidence, the facts of the resurrection. Now, I do have to say, because I tell you my stories when I'm sharing with my family, friends, and Jewish people that do not believe like this. And I made mention of just two weeks ago, I had a phone call with a Jewish doctor in Laguna, and as I was talking to him, and I talked. He said, why do I believe this? And I told him, Messianic prophecies. And I told him different, and we had a good conversation about a lot of things, which you'll hear in a minute. But finally, surprising, out of nowhere, out of context, and on the phone, he said, wait a second, you believe he was resurrected? He was raised from the grave. He said it to me. I couldn't believe it. Just out of nowhere. Out of, out of context. I remember once I was at another party, this, this attorney, and he had some Jewish people, other attorneys who are not believers. And as I'm sharing, and they got all interested. And I talked about the Messianic prophecies. I talked about my childhood, my background, my being Jewish. And we're talking about all kinds of things. We're identifying all the, and then all of a sudden they, this lawyer looked at me and goes, no, I like all this, but you don't believe in the resurrection, do you? That's crazy to believe in the resurrection. That's the third line of evidence. I just love it. For me and you, you should read books on this. But the facts of the resurrection also prove that Yeshua is the Messiah. And the first line of evidence, I just want to deal briefly with that, is the empty tomb. What's the explanation for a tomb that was empty? I mean, after Yeshua was crucified, they brought him down. The Jewish people saw, his followers saw, they took him and they put him in a tomb. He was wrapped up. They put about a hundred 
almost 100 pounds of spices on the tomb. That's what they did on the person. They put him in the tomb, put the stone over that. Not only that, the Jewish said to, people said to uh, Pilate, can we put a Roman guard around? So they put a Roman guard around the tomb so the Jewish people couldn't get there because they knew the ro- rumors. And they figured, let's, let's guard that stone. No one's going to steal his body and say he was resurrected. We're guarding this. So they guarded. So, sure enough, everyone, Jewish people, uh, Jewish people who didn't believe, everybody came back three days later. Where's the body? The tomb was empty. What's the explanation for the empty tomb? Now, I always like to say this, I just by repetition, so you remember, because our whole legal system today is founded on a Jewish man by the name of Simon Greenleaf back in the 1700s, 18th century, who was a royal professor of law at Harvard University, and he did all his doctoral work on evidences. And this Simon Greenleaf said, if you take into a court of law all the things that we today take into a court of law, you must conclude Messiah was resurrected. It's such a well-proven, established fact. You read books on this, Josh McDowell, Evidence of Demand the Verdict. You read Frank Morrison, attorney who went out to prove a resurrection of hoax. He became a believer. Who moved the stone? The tomb was empty. So the explanations, what is their explanation? And you might have them right now. Here, the normal first explanation of the, resur- of the empty tomb is the stupid Jewish people went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> that is an explanation. These poor, hysterical Jewish ladies. On Sunday morning, they didn't know they were besides themselves. Then they say it was foggy, and they didn't know where they were going. So they went to a tomb. You know, by chance it was open, and they said it was the wrong tomb, so it was empty. That's one explanation. Yeah, you could choose to believe that. They went to the wrong tomb. Then some other people say, no, no, no. They say the Jewish leaders stole the body. That's another explanation for the empty tomb. Well, you know, that's an easy one. Pharisees, Sadducees, Jewish leaders, steal the body. First, they wouldn't touch a, a, you know, it was unclean to touch it. But the Jewish leaders stole the body. If they did, maybe they did. Next week, Peter gets up in the temple with all the Jewish people and says, guess what, people? Yeshua has been raised from the grave. He's not here. The tomb is empty. He's been raised. If I was an unsaved Jewish person, what would I do? I'd take the body and say, here, Peter, here's your resurrected Messiah. Jewish people couldn't have stole the body. Not only that. What surrounded the uh, giant uh, stone that could protect that? Roman guard. They couldn't get it. Jewish, Jewish leaders could not have stole the body. Then they said, no problem. Peter, James, John, the apostles all got together. They stole the body. Well, if they stole the body, they would have to get past the Roman guard, the Roman seal. They'd be killed if they stole the body. Not only that, they're all depressed and downhearted and distressed because their Messiah had been killed. Not only that, if someone makes up a lie... You might believe it. You might even be willing to die. You believe it that much. But how about if 11 people all together made up the same lie? Would all 11 be willing to take a bullet? If I was one of those that made up a lie, and they put that gun to my head, was he? Uh, was the tomb empty? Did you see the body? I go, uh, yeah, I took the body. I, I, I don't want the bullet in the head. Everyone agreed. Jewish, Jewish believers could not have stolen the body. There's no explanation for the empty tomb. What about the clothes? Well, if robbers came in, you wouldn't see the spices. There would be Everything would be a mess in the whole place. How do you get through 100 pounds of spices and the wrappings and steal everything? Maybe they'd take the whole wrappings with them and the, everything would be all around the place. Everything was perfect, neat, and in order, right where he was. Everything was there, folded neatly. No, nope, couldn't have done that. Of course, you know, the last explanation, which is the most plausible to the most of the world, is what they call the swoon theory. 
That was made popular in the uh, 20th century um, by Hugh Schoenfeld from England. Sorry to say, a Jewish believer in Yeshua who turned away. He said Yeshua never really died. Even though they beat him with uh, nine whips with stone, glass, and metal in it and ripped his body apart, even though they did that, even though they ripped the beard out of his face, even though they scourged him, which could kill most people, and they put the uh, crown of thorns, even though they put him on a cross, nailed him there, even though the Romans took a spear and went through his body, he passed out. I would probably pass out too. And then they took him down from the cross, put him in a tomb, sealed it up, and in the coolness of the tomb, Yeshua, oh, oh I feel better now. <laughs> wow, I don't even need a drink of water. This air, this fresh air, I revived. Push the stone away, conquering hero comes out. Yeshua just swooned crazy. There's only one explanation for an empty tomb, and that's Yeshua was resurrected from the tomb. You got to read Josh McDowell, just one part. Evidence of man of earth. You gotta read things on the resurrection. If you're, you know, my bubbles, left bubble, nothing intended. You're not, you don't believe in Yeshua, right bubble. If you want to be strengthened and encouraged in your faith, read about the resurrection. You will be, you'll be thrilled. You'll be excited. All right. Line of evidence. Fourth line. This is my favorite of the resurrections, but the fourth line of evidence, the witnesses and the appearances of the Messiah. Listen carefully. If, if I had the only evidence that one person thought they saw him on a foggy Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, I might question it. But the Bible tells us that not just did he appear to one or three or the 11, but he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Listen carefully. He appeared to between 500 and 600 people at that time. There was no question about it. He appeared more than 11 different times. In a period of 40 days, there is no explanation. Empty tomb, the appearances. I love when the great rabbi Saul says these words. He says, listen, he appears to five, 600 people at once. Listen, don't believe me. Some of them died. Check with the others. Just ask them. Have they seen them? Evidences, amazing. The last, the changes uh, in times and people. What changed Peter? Peter who denied the Lord between a little servant girl. Peter denied the Lord a second time. Peter denied the Lord a third time. What changed him to be able to stand up against the high priests of Israel, the leaders of Israel, and say, do what you want? What changed Peter to stand up before Rome and say, crucify me? We're going to do it upside down. All right, crucify me upside down. What could change a timid, scared Peter? Change his life. What could change the rabbi Saul who was killing, rounding up all believers? What could change this great, great rabbi who was advancing beyond all the other rabbis? What could change his life unless he saw him? What could change 12 apostles who are willing to be crucified upside down, beaten, stabbed with the arrows, put on stakes, put in boiling oil, shot through with arrows? All 12 were willing to die. What could change? What could change there's only one line of thinking, one thing that we have to say. Results. Follow along. Results. Acts chapter 5, what I read before. But it, this is what that unsaved Jewish rabbi told them. But if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. Conclusion, everybody. Here's the conclusion. Yeah. Conclusion. Apostles must have. No, that's not the verse. I had, I, 
Acts 5.39. But that's okay. I'll read 39 for you. No, my problem. But it's of God. You will not be able to overthrow them or else you may be even found fighting against God. The results of all that is, here it is, they were fighting against God. Fill it in quickly. Roman number two. I will tell you some Jewish objections to my faith in Yeshua. You need to see them. But I want you to read this passage with me. Acts 6. But there were some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians. There was Jewish people that rose up against Stephen. And some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued against Stephen. Stephen was a Jewish believer. Jewish community are arguing. Make it modern. Jewish community rising up, arguing with Larry, arguing with you. Stephen would represent us. And so they were unable to cope with the, the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Fill it in quickly if you can. One of Jewish objection to our faith. There's a few, but I want you to see this because I want you to be prepared for it. One objection. You're not Jewish anymore. Let me tell you clearly, when you are Jewish and you're sharing with Jewish people, one of the major objections they say to me, Larry, you're not Jewish anymore. I always marvel. The first thing I say to them is, okay, okay, I understand. So what makes somebody Jewish? Just be ready to ask the question back. Larry, you're not Jewish. Okay. Tell me, what makes someone a Jew? I want to hear from them. They usually give me two answers. One, they say, you got to follow Judaism. And I look at them and say, do you? I'm usually safe. They, no, there's no way. Then, the most times, what makes someone Jewish? I love this when they do this. They look at me. They have the nerve to say this. If your parents are Jewish, you're Jewish. I go, good. My parents are Jewish. My grandparents are Jewish. But you're not Jewish. You just told me. You just told me your parents. You, you made the definition. My, one of my favorite stories, love telling it, when I met with a rabbi, and he looked at me. Good, nice rabbi, I liked him. He said, you're not Jewish. I said, thank you, rabbi. So let me ask you. Here's a Jewish boy, girl, woman, whatever. His parents were Jewish. Grandparents were Jewish. He doesn't believe in God. He's an atheist. He uh, lives like the devil. Doesn't read the Bible. Doesn't pray. Doesn't worship on Shabbat. Doesn't observe the Jewish holidays. Became a Buddhist. Is he Jewish? The rabbi looks at me. Of course. What do you mean? Of course he's Jewish. I go, thank you. Here I am. I say this to the right. Here I am. Parents are Jewish. Grandparents are Jewish. I read the Bible every day. I pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I worship on Shabbat. I observe the Jewish holidays. I try to live righteously as best I can. My children had born about mitzvahs. I believe Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. Am I Jewish? Mm. On the fringe. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Listen, first objection, you're not Jewish anymore. Of course you're Jewish. That can, that can never change. Number two, you're a traitor. You're a traitor. You've turned back on your people. Come back. Sorry, I, I'm a repeater. I was, not today, I don't do it anymore. And you wouldn't get doors. Knocked on. But when I was in, in New Jersey, West Orange, New Jersey, a bunch of us went out one night, knocked on doors. Yeah, it's hard at night. People don't open anymore. I knocked on doors. We try to talk to them about Yeshua. That's very, very hard, very scary. It's the most scary thing I've ever done. Anyway, we knocked on one door, and I remember we, the door opened up, and this Jewish couple, probably about my age now, back then they seemed like they were old and ancient, but they're probably about my age. They looked at me, and they said, come in. Then you know who I said, yeah, come, come, come in. It's like I was their son. Come, come in. So I came in, and there was a coffee table set up, and there was eight Jewish people there, four Jewish couples, all the same age having coffee and cake. And they said to me, the other person, come, 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 sit, sit, have some coffee, cake. 
Sure. Who is he? They don't know. I sit down. I'm having coffee and cake. We're talking. And after a while, they said, so, no, why are you here? Who are you? Listen, that's very unusual. It never happens. But it happened. I didn't make it up. They said, let me tell you why I'm here. I told them my Jewish background. I always thought how Jewish I am. And I told them I searched the Jewish scriptures. And I came to the conclusion that Yeshua was the Messiah. And I talked about the prophets. And I talked about King David. And all eight of them looked at me. Oh, you could have been some. You could have been a contender. Anyway, no, you, some guys, some guys. You could have done something with your life. Then they look at me and say, you could have been a rabbi. And then they said to me, why don't you come back? Come back. And I remember looking at them and said, I have come back. I'm asking you to come back. That's what we're calling. We're calling our people back to a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which can only be accomplished through Yeshua, the Messiah. I am not a traitor. I've turned back to my God. Three, there is no peace. That's what the Jewish doctor two weeks ago said to me. If Yeshua is the Messiah, where is the peace? Because the Bible says Messiah will come and bring peace. Listen carefully. You've got to get these things clear in your mind. Jewish leaders, the religious Jewish people, the unsaved Jewish people have made up two messiahs. This is what their the Jewish theology is. They say there's a messiah who would come, son of Joseph. That's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's son, Joseph. They say there's a messiah who would come and suffer. Jewish leader, this is Jewish theology I'm giving you. And then they say there's another messiah, messiah, son of David, who will come and reign in power and glory. The Jewish community says the first messiah, he would suffer. It's in the Talmud. It's in the Talmud, St. Hadrian 98. It says he's called the leprous one, the suffering one. Jewish people, the Jewish community says they're a Messiah who come and suffer. Then they say, but he's not so important if we know who he is. He'd suffer. We wait for the Messiah, son of David, come in power and glory. My question is, how do you find this suffering one? Where does that come from? From Isaiah 53, from Zechariah chapter 9. They see Messiah would suffer. We tell them Messiah would come twice, one Messiah. The first time he came, he did bring peace to our hearts. He's changed our lives. He does bring peace to the individual. But he came the first time to suffer. He's coming a second time to reign in power and glory. That's what we believe. There will be world peace. That's what this Jewish doctor said to me quickly. They say, you have three gods. We don't have three gods. We believe in one God. I can't explain it. It's God we're talking about, folks. When a Jewish couple gets married, look, everyone, look up here. Here's two, male, female, together. I pronounce them uh, bosar echad. That means the two become one. They're still two people, but they're united. God uses the same word for one for himself, echad, a composite unity. God is always, he could have used the word absolute one, but he doesn't. He used the word composite one. And we believe in the scriptures that there's three separate persons, the Father, the Mashiach, the Ruach, the Holy Spirit. We believe all, listen, I know, don't, don't say I'm tricking you with words, but listen carefully. The Father is God, the Messiah is God, the Ruach, the Holy Spirit is God. Some so they look at me and say, ah, so you believe in three gods? I go, no, one. I'm sorry, I know. It sounds like I'm double talking, but I'm not. They're one in essence in unity. That's the way God refers to himself in the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, one. God is one in unity. Essence. We don't believe in three gods. Even though you believe in three persons, the Bible says one God. That's what you have to say. Yeah, we don't know what you're saying. I say, that's true. I don't know too much. I believe in what God said. He's one. A virgin birth is impossible is what Jewish people say to me. And I say, oh, I'm so stupid. I didn't know. A virgin birth is impossible. Listen, it's true. A virgin birth is impossible, but we believe God can do miracles. 
We believe God did a miracle. We believe the word Alma, virgin, speaks, uh, Alma speaks of a virgin. And it was a sign. It was a miracle. Isaiah 7.14. F, the Messiah. The Messiah. Is that I Messiahs there? Next one. And what's the next one? I did. Okay. The, the, the Christians, or the Messiahs, hate and kill Jews. That's what this Jewish doctor told me. Don't Christians hate and kill Jews? Haven't they done that for 2,000 years? That's a hard one. Because people who call themselves Christian for 2,000 years have persecuted, hated, and killed my people. And there's a couple answers for that. I say, one, they just use the name Christian. They're not true believers at all. If you are a true believer, you should love and care for our people. These are not true, true believers, or what they say, true Christians. True believers. And we have examples of them. The Corey Ten Boons, and we see the Raul Shalom, uh, uh, Schindler and, and different ones. We see true people that have loved our people. Yes, that's true. Many of them have killed our people. And finally, there's the last objection, is the six million. You'll get that a lot. Listen carefully. The six million is not against Yeshua. It's against God. Many of our Jewish people do not believe in God because of the six million, because of the Holocaust. And there's not much you can say about that when people bring up how could there be God, actually. We're talking about Messiah. How could there be God? Weep with them. Don't try to give a fancy answer, because there's really no many answers in our day and age why God allowed six and a half million of our people to perish. Yeah, there are some easy things, some things to say. One, you could say, if Hitler had his way, one-third wouldn't have been killed, but all three-thirds would have been killed, all our people. God still preserved our people. Yes, for some strange reason, he allowed a third to die. Not only that, there is something that came from the Holocaust, from the ashes of the Holocaust. Only time in history could the Jewish people have been born again, become a nation. That's a hard one. 